Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Anytime you're in the Huntsville area, we hope you'll stop in and be part of our worship. Sunday morning worship is at 9 o'clock, with Bible class immediately following. Sunday evening worship is at 5. Midweek Bible study is held Wednesdays at 7. Scripture reading will be from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 through 17. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. You may be seated. I suppose it shouldn't surprise us that as we think about the reliability of the Bible, that the one who has been attacked perhaps more than anyone else in Scripture has been Jesus Christ, who is the the theme of the Bible and the gospel accounts that record uh, the life of Christ or some of the acts and teachings of of the life of Christ. You may have heard of Bertrand Russell, who was one of the more well-known agnostics of the 20th century In a pamphlet, he wrote, Why I Am Not a Christian, which happens to be on the New York Public Library's Book of the Century list. He said in this booklet, he said, I do not believe one can grant either superlative wisdom or the superlative goodness of Christ as depicted in the Gospels. I am concerned with Christ as He appears in the Gospels. Taking the Gospel narrative as it stands, and there one does find some things not that do not seem to be very wise. Interesting. You know, we talked this morning in the Bible class period about so-called atheist-making Bible verses. Bible verses that should make you an atheist, supposedly. And here, Mr. Bertrand Russell says that the gospel narratives that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John should cause us some, uh, cause us to pause and consider some of these teachings and actions of Jesus and why would they ever be emulated. Dan Barker, whom we've already mentioned a few times this weekend, in his pamphlet, which can be found online, called Why Jesus, he said, why is Jesus so special? It would be more reasonable and productive to emulate real flesh and blood human beings who have contributed to humanity, mothers who have given birth, scientists who have alleviated suffering, social reformers who have fought injustice, than to worship a character of such dubious qualities as Jesus. On evilbible.com, you can imagine what kind of website this is. Maybe you haven't visited it. I don't recommend it, but I'm quoting from it this afternoon. Charlotte Schnook said, Dear believer, I refuse to accept Jesus as my personal Savior for His behavior and teachings often expose one who should be escaped and not worshipped. It's interesting. So according to Scripture, God came from heaven to earth And when God came from heaven to earth, this is how He acted and this is how He spoke. This is what He taught. And some people contend that those kinds of actions should not be uh, looked at favorably and those teachings supposedly should be escaped and we shouldn't imitate Jesus. Allegedly, Jesus is a liar. You know, this is one that I've heard Dan Barker use, I suppose, more than once, if I remember correctly, that this is a, uh, from John chapter 5 and John chapter 8, that because Jesus said at one point in time that if I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true, 
then Jesus was a liar and that John wrote a contradictory statement about what Jesus said in John chapter 8 verse 14 where he said, even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true. And when you put these two statements on a screen right in front of you and you put them side by side or one on top of the other, it looks like on the surface that there's a problem here. Does On the surface, does it look like there might be a problem? Even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true or is not true. But if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true. So which is it, Jesus? Is it true or is it not true? That's a fair question to ask. There's no problem whatsoever in asking the question. But if we're going to ask the question, then we ought to be open to reasonable answers uh, to the question. You know, last night we talked about the first two principles uh, to help us in understanding. Really, those principles were not just to help us understand the Bible. Really, they, they help us understand anything fairly. That is to consider a person innocent until proven guilty. And that any possible, legitimately possible solution should suffice. That we observe the context of things. That we look at who is doing the talking. That we remember that supplementation is not equivalent to a contradiction. And that we also keep in mind that there's a lot of figurative language in the Bible, just like we use figurative language, and we give each other, we understand each other generally. Or if we don't understand right at first, we oftentimes inquire more about the situation or about the conversation to find out more about what is talking, what is being discussed. Well, when we use some of those principles in light of these two different verses, well, it's very helpful, including the fact that just stepping away for a moment and realizing that the the last thing we briefly mentioned last night was, you know, for there to be a legitimate contradiction between two different statements then you must make sure you're thinking about the same person, place, or thing at the same time and in the same sense. In the same sense. So here's my question. Is it possible, this is Jesus, the same person making both statements. And it is at two different times, but you can still say something at two different times and it be, you know, contradictory. It just could be that there are some statements that are made at different times that are not contradictory not contradictory, like when the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 1 that God made everything and everything was good, right? In Genesis chapter 6, every intent of the thought of man's heart was only evil continually. So which one was it? Is it? Was it? Was it? It's not a word, is it? So uh, is it? Is it good or is it bad? Well, you have a lot of time separated in those two statements, right? So you have, you have hundreds and hundreds of years. So it was good and then it became bad. But in this situation, here's my question. Is it possible that Jesus could make both statements in different senses? So let me just ask you this as we compare it to another statement we sometimes might hear. We won the game, we lost the game. That might appear like a contradictory statement. And maybe most of the time someone might be lying when they make this statement. Or it's a contradiction. But there are situations, there are times when such uh, two Two different statements like this are different, but they are not contradictory. And someone may not be lying when they say it. Let me give you a what I think is a perfect example uh, that really happened back several years ago in 1990 when Missouri and Colorado played a college football game. And some of you are old enough, like me, that you, you remember this game because this was the year when Colorado, if I remember correctly, won a share. This was back before the BCS National Championship and the playoffs that they have today. They won a share of the national championship. They shared it with someone else. But before they ever shared a national championship, they played Missouri. And there was something that inter- something interesting that happened near the end of this game. With 30 seconds left to go, Missouri was up 31-27. to And Colorado had the ball first and goal at the Missouri three-yard line. 
And this was the sequence of the events. On first down, Colorado spiked the ball to stop the clock. On second down, they ran the ball but failed to score. On third down, they ran again and failed to score. On fourth down, they spiked the ball to stop the clock. And on fifth down, they ran the ball for a touchdown. That's what really happened. And if you're a football fan, you know there's something wrong with this. (laughs) You don't have to be much of a football fan to know that Colorado should have never been given a fifth down. Yet, in one sense, they won the game 33-31. to But let me ask you this. Is there another sense in which the Missouri football players probably did say or could say, we won that game? Because after fourth down, we should have been given the ball. All we would have had to have done was hike the ball, kneel down, the game is over. Done. We win. Instead, you know, bless those referees' hearts. I know they're humans and they make mistakes just like I make mistakes. And whoo, can you imagine how many angry people there were in Missouri on this day? Boy, sometimes I've learned we, we just haven't, we haven't treated referees too well through the years. You know, we act like they're robots and they do everything correctly, but they make mistakes sometimes. Is it possible that the Missouri players said, we won the game, but yet in a different setting, okay, yes, we lost the game according to the referees, according to the, you know, the history books of of college football, we lost that game, but we really won that game. You see, they They're making those statements in different senses, according to the referees, according to how they, you might say, judge the game, according to the books that have been kept, according to history, we lost the game. But in a very real sense, everyone generally kind of understands, quote-unquote, we were robbed and we should have won that game. Listen, can you imagine if this happened in the state of Alabama with one of those two big schools in this state? And, oh, man, I tell you what, I'm afraid there would be some really bad things that would, that would happen. And so when Jesus says, if I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. And then he says, if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true. You've got to remember, these are two different statements that are made a few chapters apart. And in John chapter 5, if people took the time to consider why he said, if I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true... They took the time to realize what he said after that, what he was doing was giving them the evidence, like in a court of law, if you will, that would hold up in a court of law that actually bore witness to who he was. What he was acknowledging in John chapter 5 and verse 31 is what we read throughout, well, in different places in the Old Testament, that for a matter to be established, there must be two or three witnesses When Jesus came to earth, if He merely said, I am the Son of God, and never offered any proof, and there were never any other witnesses besides His own mouth speaking on His behalf, Jesus has said, Jesus was saying, you shouldn't believe me if I bear witness of myself. If all I do is bear witness of myself, if all I do is a bunch of grand talking, then you shouldn't believe me. But if there are witnesses that confirm what I am saying, then you should believe them. So he goes on in John chapter 5 to list John the baptizer. He bore witness of me. The miracles that I work, they bear witness of me. The Father Himself bears witness of me. The Scriptures and especially the law of Moses, He says, Moses wrote about me. The Scriptures bear witness of me. 
But he says in John chapter 8, even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true. Let me ask you something. Could Jesus not just as easily have meant in John chapter 8, listen, I'm telling you the truth. I mean, could, could a person who, let's say, is on trial for his life and, and, and someone is accusing him of something, but he's innocent, but he really has no proof of his innocence other than he's saying, Listen, I didn't do anything. I, I, you know, you, you, you accused me of this crime, but I was just home. I was home alone that night. There's no video footage of me alone. There's no one who can testify that I was by myself in my house. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you the truth. Could someone say that and be truthful? Yes. Could Jesus say, if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. John chapter 8 verse 14. But you do not know where I came from or where I'm going. I suggest to you that Jesus could make these two different statements for two different reasons and it be perfectly natural and perfectly logical and no one has proven that Jesus is some kind of liar because of what he said in John chapter 5 and John chapter 8. There are some who claim that Jesus was just flat out disrespectful, that he dishonored his mother. For example, in John chapter 2 and verse 4 when Jesus was at the wedding in Cana of Galilee where there was a depletion of wine and Mary said to Jesus, they have no wine, and he responded to his mother with this word. Woman. Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Let me just ask you, what do you think would happen to Bo or Micah, my two sons, if they were to tell their mother in the kitchen um, after she baked them some cookies or asked them to take out the trash, if they were to respond to their mother with these words, with this word. Woman, what does that have to do with me? Well, I can just tell you, Daddy wouldn't be too happy about that right there. And Bo and Micah, if they were here, they would tell you, they probably would be very embarrassed that I am even mentioning them in this lesson, but they would have gotten a, uh, an appropriate punishment at that moment in time. I'm not saying that they would have done what my mom did one time when I burped in her face and she just slapped me across the face. I'm not saying that that would be right. I'm saying I was a teenager at that point. I knew not to do that. I thought I was just being funny. And I'll tell you this, that was, I believe, at that moment in time, for me, I'm not saying that's for everybody, but for me, my mom did the right thing. Because you know one reason I know that? Because I never did that again. I learned from my mistake. I totally freely admit that, hey, in this day, in this time, you you call some, you know, if, if my wife were still here. She was here Friday night and went back Saturday uh, to the house. If she were still here today and someone came up to my wife and said, woman, what are you doing here? You know, I would be like, are you talking to my wife? I'm not used to people talking to my wife like that. It just sounds odd, kind of disrespectful in America, in the 21st century, in English, in our culture. Yes, it It does. Richard Dawkins, I mean, he just said, Jesus' family values, it has to be admitted, were not such as one might wish to focus on. He was short to the point of brusqueness with his own mother. I want you to realize, we have been, and we we try not to just quote some fringe unbelievers when we quote people at Apologetics Press. You know, we want you to know that we have looked at not everything that leading atheists, agnostics, and skeptics have written, but... We try not to just skirt the issues when people have questions or criticisms. And, you know, we may not always enjoy answering or trying to give a defense for uh, a, a rational reason why, you know, an unbeliever is wrong about their criticism of God, the Bible, Jesus, 
and what Jesus did for us, but I, I want you to see that. I mean, here's probably the most famous atheist in the world, and he thinks what Jesus said in John chapter 2 was just flat out disrespectful. Dennis McKenzie said in Matthew 15, 4, Jesus, he told people to honor thy father and thy mother, yet he was one of the first to ignore his own maxim by saying to his mother in John 2, 4, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Imagine someone talking to his mother in such a disrespectful manner. I, I mean, I can't imagine that today in this time, and it, sound, it would sound disrespectful. Addressing her by such an impersonal noun as woman, talk about insolent and insolent offspring. Jesus needs to practice some parental respect. So supposedly, according to these men and some of those that we quoted earlier in this period together, I mean, Jesus was just rude. He was just rude because, I mean, who talks to his mother in that way? But let me ask you something. Are you sure that it was wrong for him to talk to his mother in this way at that time, some 2,000 years ago, in that place, a different country, in that culture, a different culture, in that language, written in Greek, spoken most likely in Aramaic? Are you sure that, I mean, upon what basis? You see, this happens so often. I was about to say all the time. That was another one of those figures of speech we talked about last night, hyperbole. You know, it it happens where so often we judge matters in Scripture by how things sound today in 21st century America. But it's unfair to do that. I mean, do you want people judging you and your words and your actions based upon what is in popular culture 2,000 years from now? I mean, if there's video footage or documentation of your life, do you want people to judge you based upon what's going on 2,000 years from now or what's going on today? And, of course, what Scripture has to say. You see, Jesus used this same word. Woman, he used this, one, this word when complimenting the Syrophoenician woman's great faith in Matthew chapter 15, when he said, woman, great is your faith. Are we really supposed to believe that he said, woman, great is your faith? Or was this a compliment, and he used this term in a very complimentary way? When he affectionately addressed Mary Magdalene after his resurrection, who was weeping because Jesus had died and someone had, someone had stolen his body? That's not really what happened, but she's weeping, and he says, Woman, why are you weeping? Are we really to believe that the crucified and resurrected Jesus was just disrespecting and talking rudely to Mary Magdalene? Or that when Jesus was dying on the cross and He said to His mother, one last time from the the cross, Woman, behold your son. I, I really don't think that anyone who is being the least bit fair here would have, you know, would conclude that Jesus was just being mean once, one more time to his mother. But if we're being fair and we're being honest and we're being just, surely, and if we recognize the first principle of last night that Jesus or the Bible writers are innocent until proven guilty, that there has been no guilt proven that Jesus has somehow disrespected his mother because of the use of the word gune rather than mater. Well, why did he use that word? Well, we can't know for sure. I mean, some have suggested maybe he was indicating that a new relationship uh, between he and his mother was beginning as he entered his public ministry. But one thing we can know, critics cannot prove that Jesus was acting disrespectfully towards his mother. Or what about this question that people have about Jesus and the gospel accounts? I mean, when was it that Jesus actually cleansed the temple? Was it later in his ministry or 
as Matthew, excuse me, yes, as Matthew, Mark, and Luke indicate, or was it early on in his ministry? As you read in John chapter 2, in fact, right after the account that we just got through reading of where Jesus was speaking to his mother, allegedly disrespectfully, but was not, you read in John chapter 2 and verses 13 and following that Jesus went and cleansed the temple. And so the criticism is, the accusation is, it could not be both ways. And that is oftentimes, you know, these kinds of criticisms are made throughout Scripture, it just could not be both ways. But uh, wait a minute. Again, the Bible writers are innocent until proven guilty. Here's a question for us. Is it possible that the temple needed cleansing twice in a three-year period? Is that possible? Have you ever known a family that has had more than two problems in a three-year period? Have you ever known a church that's had two problems in a three-year period? Man, if we could only just have two problems in a three-year period, that would be... That could be a good thing because you know, there's always going to be problems because we're not perfect, right? We're going to be long-suffering toward one another because we're not perfect, but we're just trying to do the best that we can. Is it possible, though, that those people who were making the house of God like a den of thieves and they were all they were trying to do was swindle as much money out of people as possible as folks were coming from long distances to offer sacrifices and likely and instead of bringing a sacrifice with them. They were purchasing them there at the temple and were being charged astronomical amounts. Is it possible that that happened twice in a three-year period? Is it possible it happened early on in His ministry as well as later in Jesus' ministry? Is it possible that Jesus, quote-unquote, cleansed the temple twice? Sure, it's also possible, though, that... Well, let me ask you something. In everyday life, when you give an account of things, let's say I'm going to go home today, Lord willing, I'll see my wife tonight, and I'll pro- we'll probably discuss various happenings over the last week or so. Maybe we'll talk a little bit about what a wonderful experience it was to be at West Huntsville and to be here in this grand city that, did I hear, is like ranked the number one city in America today, and that's why everyone and their mom and dad and sister and brother want to move to Huntsville, Alabama. I mean, I like Huntsville and all, but it's almost like, you know, Wetumpka, we want to tell, they did a TV show about Wetumpka, did you know that? HGTV show called Hometown Takeover, and one of our members was just so upset about it because he doesn't want everybody, everybody moving to Wetumpka. I've had to calm him down a little bit and say, listen, brother, let's just look at it this way. People come to us and we'll just reach out to them with the gospel and we'll just do the best we can, even though we love our little town of, of Wetumpka. But is it, is it possible? And I really don't know where I was going with all that, okay? I, I, I just, oh, I, now I know. Yeah, is it possible that when I go home and talk to my wife that I'm going to tell her about things that have occurred over the last few days and not tell her everything in a chronological order? I mean, I realize there are some people who are more sequentially, chronologically minded, and so it'll be, now on Friday I did such and such, and on Saturday morning I woke up and I watched this part of this football game, and on Saturday afternoon I did, you know, I, I get it, you know, we, I, I, maybe, I'm a little, maybe I'm a little more like that. But some people are more topical, they're more spatial, you know, they're more thematic, you might say. And it's, wow, I mean, it's, it's you, know, you know what brainstorming is? You can kind of think of those little bubbles, like a bubble here and a bubble there and a bubble there. And some people talk that way. You know, some, unless the Bible tells us that this was, all this happened in chronological order, we should be careful to not assuming that everything that was written was written in and all the events are recorded in chronological order. 
That's something that seems to be a little bit more of a fascination with people in this day and time than necessarily all in Bible time. So it's possible that John recorded this for some type of climactic or thematic reason in John chapter 2 rather than putting it toward the end of the gospel account. But if you were to ask me what my opinion is for whatever that's worth, I just wouldn't be surprised if he cleansed the temple twice. Oh, some say, but Eric, Jesus was a false prophet. I mean, how could Jesus not have been a false prophet if he said that the Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men and they will kill him and the third day he will be raised up? And yet he also indicate that the Son of Man must suffer many things and after three days rise again. How could Jesus have risen on the third day as well as after three days? The way that we generally talk today, those are two different statements and might in a lot of our ways of communicating, might be contradictory, the way that we say it. I mean, how could Jesus have been in the tomb for three days and three nights as he prophesied, as he was liking it to the amount of time that Jonah was in the belly of the fish? You know, there's a statement that was recorded by a man named Eliezer ben Azariah who wrote this around the year A.D. 100, who said... And this is just giving us a little bit of a taste of or understanding of that culture and the way that they reckon time and view time. But he said, a day and a night are an ona or a portion of time, and the portion of an ona is as the whole of it. I realize, again, kind of like last night we said, definitions and statements like this may not always be as helpful as just examples, but we'll get to some examples here in a moment. But what he said, and this isn't scripture, okay, I'm just telling you, this might give us a little bit of an indication of how people in that day and that time and that culture thought of days and time. And he said, in essence, one day could be considered a part of a day or a part of a day as a, as a whole day. Kind of similar to that idea of synecdoche that we talked about last night, where a part is put for a hole or a hole for the part. Remember, we used the example of the wheels standing for the entire car or the boots standing for the entire soldier. You know, when you, this was another principle that we did not get to last night, but it's a really good principle to remember that I'm confident that you've probably heard a number of times, and that is as much as possible, if you want to. Let me just say this. If you want to understand Eric, if you have a question about what Eric has said or what Eric has written, uh, you know, you might understand me better if you were to ask, if you were to ask Eric's enemies, right? Then you would understand Eric. Or if you were to ask, you know, other people who have an acquaintance with Eric. I don't normally talk about myself in third person, okay? I'm just, I'm just saying, if you want to know something more, if you misunderstand something I said, or if I made a mistake and you want to call it to my attention, which that happens a lot, okay, then you might come and talk to me. You know, if we want to learn something about the Bible, if we, if we, if we have a question about something that, that there is in the Bible, that, that someone wrote in the Bible, then what's the best thing to do? To be fair is to let the Bible explain the Bible. And you know, That is such an important principle of interpretation because it's fair, it's just, it's what we would want. We don't, you know, we don't want you to make judgments about about me or or someone else, just just about what other people are saying about me or you. You want to be able to give a defense of yourself. You want to be able to explain yourself. Let's let the Bible explain itself. Let's let as much as is possible, let's allow God to explain 
himself. You know, did it rain for 40 days or 40 days and nights? Are we to believe that this had to have been a literal 40 days times 24 hours, and if it wasn't literally that, then, then the Bible is wrong? Were Joseph's brothers, were they in the prison that Joseph put them in, were they in there for three days, or were they released, all of them but one, on the third day? Because if all of them were released except one on the third day, then they weren't in there a literal three times 24 hours. What's that? 72 hours? In 2 Chronicles chapter 10, you can read where the uh, Israelites came to Rehoboam, who was still the king of the, the United Kingdom, that Jeroboam and all of Israel came and spoke to Rehoboam, saying, Your father made our yoke heavy. Now therefore lighten the burdensome service of your father. So, they, so he said to them, this is Rehoboam, said to them, Come back to me after three days, and the people departed. This might be one of the clearest examples of how the Bible writers use these terms of days and days and nights and three days and after three days and on the third day. He said, come back to me after three days. So how do they understand this? Interestingly, just a few verses later, you read, so Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam when? On the third day. As the king had directed, saying, come back to me the third day. Wait a minute, the king said, come back to me after three days. But they came back to him on the third day and they said that the king had directed him to come back on the third day. So, did he say after three days or on the third day? And here is how they would answer that question. Yes, it meant the same thing in Bible times. When Esther was fasting for three days and didn't eat anything for night or day, did that fast end on the third day or not? I mean, she went before the king on the third day. Perhaps it's made even more clear than in Esther, maybe not quite as clear as 2 Chronicles, but... In Acts chapter 10, you can read of the amazing account there of Peter and Cornelius and how Peter went to Cornelius' house. And when he got to Cornelius' house there in, um, in Caesarea in Acts chapter 10, Cornelius says this, Four days ago I was fasting until this hour, four days ago. But you know, when you calculate backwards how many days ago it was, If it is to this hour, it's actually right at 72 hours. How many days is 72 hours? Oh, three days. But Cornelius says four days ago to this hour. I mean, again, you can write down those references if you want, Acts 10, 3, 9, 23, 24, and 30, and you can see it was right at 72 hours. And he said four days ago. You know why he said four days ago? Because as we mentioned earlier on, Rabbi Eliezer ben Azariah said, a day and a night, or as an owner, or a portion of time, and an owner is as the whole of it, that sometimes in Bible times, in that day, in that time, in that culture, a part of a day could be considered a whole day, so that if this happened on, let's say, Thursday, when Peter finally came to Cornelius' house, and he said four days ago, he meant Monday. Even though from Thursday to Wednesday to Tuesday to Monday was literally like 72 hours, but it was a part of Monday and Thursday and a whole of Tuesday and Wednesday. When we allow the Bible to explain the Bible, we see that it's not a problem whatsoever to learn that Jesus said He would rise on the third day or after three days or He was in the tomb for three days and three nights. In that day and that time, they all understood Him to mean the same thing. Even Jesus' enemies, even they did not 
think that Jesus had lied or contradicted himself about this. They went before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember while he was still alive how that deceiver said, After three days I will rise, therefore command that the tomb be made secure. Be made secure until when? Until the third day. But they're, they're saying, but he said he would arise after three days. Why would they only want the tomb to be made secure until the third day if they really thought this meant, I mean, how we would kind of understand it as after three days today? Well, to them, after three days meant the same thing as on the third day. You may not like this way of reckoning time. We may think it's strange, but just because it is somewhat foreign to us perhaps does not mean it was wrong for them to talk about it this way if that's how they refer to it in their culture. You know, there are some people who probably think that we're kind of weird. You know? I mean, they come to America, they check in a hotel at 9 o'clock at night, and they're told, well, check out, is it? 11 a.m. in the morning. Well, how many days am I paying for? Oh, you're, you're paying for one day. I mean, a hundred buckaroos or more, maybe, depending on what kind of hotel you have. And personally, I, I just really appreciate a clean hotel room. If I have to pay a little bit more for that, hey, I'm, I'm just thankful for clean sheets and not having bed bug bites and, you know, wet floors and all that. You ever had some of those issues? Okay, I'll just move on. But, you know, can you imagine someone saying, wait a minute, I... What if, what if they decided, just refuse to leave at 11 o'clock? And let's say that they're just going to stay until they need to leave or have to leave at, you know, for, for their schedule and they don't leave until 6 p.m. that night. Think they might get charged for two days in that hotel? Is that fair? It's not even 24 hours yet. Been 21 hours. Checked in at 9, leaving at 6, right? The math is correct. 21 hours. You're going to charge me for two days? We don't have a I mean, we generally understand how reasonable that is. And so sometimes, brothers and sisters, let's be careful not to be what some might call kind of ethnocentric, that we think that our way of doing everything is exactly right and what way the way that people do things in other areas of the world or in other times in history, that, that the way they did things, said things, that they're just wrong. They just did things differently. You know, we could go on and on and we could see, in fact, you can go to the Apologetic Express website or to our app that I was just informed today that the search engine for articles on our app not working quite right, so hopefully we'll get that fixed before long. And you can see where there are dozens or hundreds of these allegations. Well, Jesus made a mistake here, or Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John made a mistake there. And you can read where there are reasonable answers for these things. My encouragement to you as we close this weekend together and this a wonderful Lord's Day that God has given us. It's been a blessing for me to be with you all. I thank your elders and ministers for this invitation to, to be here, and I look forward to our paths crossing again. My encouragement to you is to realize, hey, you, you know what? I, I can do my part. I can do my part in being a, a, a solid, faithful servant of Jesus Christ. I can let my light shine, not for the purpose of, of me receiving glory uh, from, from man, but for people to see God living in me. Let my light so shine before men that they might see our good works, but glorify God who is in heaven. Let's do it with our actions. Let's do what Peter said and sanctify the Lord God in our hearts. Let's get our minds and our hearts right. Let's live a real, 
a real faithful life and service to the Lord Jesus. And when we answer questions that people have, whether it is about Jesus or the gospel accounts or some other passage of Scripture, let's do so as much as we can. And, and Eric has failed in this regard at times, and I'm not proud of it, but Peter says, let's do it in meekness and fear. Or some translations say, gentleness and respect. But let's really try to help people. That doesn't mean that you fail if someone refuses to become a Christian. It doesn't mean you fail if someone doesn't leave atheism. God came to earth and most people rejected Him. You realize that? There's no teacher that's greater than Jesus Christ. He's the master teacher. He is the ultimate example. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He's God. He's deity. He came to earth and He humbled Himself and He subjected Himself willingly to hunger, to thirst, to, to being a baby, to being a, a grown man. And when He came to earth and He taught like no man had ever taught before and He fulfilled prophecies that had been spoken thousands of years earlier and He worked miracles, reattaching severed ears, walking on water, calming storms. Even when God was on earth, not everyone believed everything He said. Not everyone came to believe in Him. You know, it's, it's, it's unfortunate, it's sad that you are not going to convince every single person in, in, in this world that God exists, that the Bible is His Word, that Jesus Christ is a Son, and they need to submit to the King of kings and Lord of lords, obey the gospel of Jesus Christ, become members of the church of Jesus Christ, the church that He built, the church that He purchased, the church that He founded, which is why we call ourselves by a Bible name, the Church of Christ, because we are His. But even though not everyone is going to come and believe everything that you show them in Scripture, that you try to reason with them about, don't ever let that cause you to quit living for the Lord. You may, you may not teach and convert with the gospel of Jesus Christ one person in your lifetime. You may not. I mean, I read in my Bible where Noah was a preacher of righteousness, seemingly preached for possibly 120 years, if I understand Genesis 6-3 correctly, that the Spirit of God strove with man for that long. And perhaps it was all through the preaching of Noah and besides his wife, three sons and their wives, no one else was on that ark. It may be that, it may be that, that you teach the gospel to one person who becomes a Christian. But you know, that one person may be an Apostle Paul. That one person may be a Lydia. That one person may change the lives of thousands and thousands of people. You may have a son or a daughter who grows up to be a missionary overseas or uh, someone who is able to reach people that, that you have not been able to reach, not because of your shortcomings and not because they are going to be or are you know, just greater human beings than you are, but we never know how God can use each and every one of us. So don't, don't ever give up. Don't ever quit. Keep on going. Persevere. Realize, like the Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, verses 9-11, through 11, that we haven't yet reached that... that ultimate goal of being with our resurrected Lord. So he says, even though I haven't yet attained, I haven't yet apprehended, sometimes, well, we just have to forget those things which might be hindering us, whether they are accomplishments of the past or whether they are mistakes that we've already repented of. Let's forget those things which are behind. Let's reach forward to those things which are ahead. Let's press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. If you haven't responded to the upward call of God of Christ Jesus, if you haven't responded to the gospel message, won't you do so today?
as we stand and as we sing. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word. If you would like to continue your study of New Testament Christianity, please send your name and address to World Bible School, West Huntsville Church of Christ, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Or if you prefer, send your name and address by email to wbs at westhuntsville.org.